Hello, Redeemer family and friends and welcome visitors. It's good to be back together again. We've started 2021 with three weeks, 21 days of prayer and fasting together as a church and individually as well. And this week we're coming into our third week now and I'm going to be speaking on prayer, prayer as petitioning or asking, asking God for things that we we might need, others might need or the world needs. You may be somebody who is naturally quite at ease asking things from others or you might be somebody who's a bit more hesitant. Neither really matters as we'll see today. What really matters is the one to whom we come and ask. That's true in the natural often, as well as with God. We're going to consider who we're asking, how we should ask, and looking a little bit how not to ask, as well as what to ask. We're going to ask, why ask? Why ask at all? If God's will is perfect, infallible, um, certain, then is there any point to me praying and asking for him to intervene in mankind's affairs? On the other hand, if my prayers do affect a change, do bring about a change in how God works out his plans, then might I be paralysed by fear of getting things wrong? Finally, we're going to ask, is there such a thing for a Christian as unanswered prayer? Sometimes in life, we may bring some of our most heartfelt, urgent and desperate requests before God. And they're declined. And that can be utterly perplexing. We can feel confused, hurt, bewildered. How do we remain confident to come again and again to God with our requests when things seem to be declined? A definition of petition is to bring a request to an authority in respect of something particular. And in, in many ways, kids are our teachers in, in how to ask for things, never shy to plead, to pester, to persevere, to be heard for something that they want or something they need. Petitioning prayer is sometimes called supplication and it comes in various forms. We, we can pray for ourselves or it's intercessory when we pray for others. There's asking for our daily needs, for what we need, what we desire. There's lamenting, reminding God of what he's promised in the Bible, in, in his word, and holding him to it, wrestling with him. And there's waiting, sometimes called importunate prayer or importunate prayer. Roy shared last week that the, the kind of prayer that's demonstrated in Luke 11, where it's the kind of prayer that demonstrates a bold, cheeky determination. In Luke 11, a friend comes in the middle of the night and Jesus says it's not because he's friends with this guy, but it's because of his impudence, literally his shameless persistence on knocking on the door. That means the dad gets up in the night and he'll give him whatever he wants. <laughs> In Luke's account, Jesus tells that parable immediately after he's taught his first disciples how to pray, what we call now the Lord's Prayer. And he tells them this parable immediately before he tells them, tells them how they're to ask. Ask, seek and knock. We're going to read from the account in Matthew chapter 7, reading from verse 7. Let's read together. 
ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So in verse 11, Jesus is really clear. It's our Father in heaven whom we, who, who gives us good things, whom we go to. And our petitioning and God's permitting is essentially relational. It's a, a father-child relationship here. It's on the basis of who God is, Jesus is explaining, uh, on how we should ask. Parents have an innate desire to do good for their kids. Jesus is asking a rhetorical question. If your son asks for bread or fish, you're not going to give him a stone or a snake. Bread could represent what they need, what a child needs for life um, and to do well. Fish, fish could represent what we need to flourish and prosper. At the time of Jesus' teaching here in Galilee, there was a vibrant, healthy fish, fishing economy. It was big there. And so fish could represent prosperity in the truest, fullest sense of the meaning. What kind of father is when his son comes to him and asks for what he needs to prosper and do well, is going to give him a snake or a snake bite that kills. Jesus is saying, if you can be confident that your earthly parents who are sinful, fallible, often unwise, they know how to give you good things. How much more your father in heaven, he knows exactly what you need, when you need it and how you need it. He will give you good things when you ask. On the face of it, verses seven and eight could look like a open invitation to get whatever you want. Jesus does say, whoever asks receives, the one who seeks will find, the one who knocks the door will be open to. But these are not unqualified promises. Um, <laughs> he is encouraging perseverance. If you're a mum or a dad, you, you will have heard, but you said, um, from your child, you'll have heard, you said, dad, many, many times, when they remember that you said, <laughs> they could have this or that or we could do this together or we could go there and they come to cash it in and sometimes earthly parents we need reminding for sure but all too often our children can conveniently forget there were a few conditions to be met beforehand we mustn't be like misguided forgetful or even mischievous kids who conveniently read these verses as just an open invitation to whatever we want. That's not what Jesus is saying here. For starters, unconfessed sin 
unconfessed sin is a huge barrier to prayer, really because it's a huge barrier if you're a Christian between you and your father. We, we can't hope really to be heard and receive our requests if we are harbouring sin in our hearts. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. It's not saying that sinlessness, so having no sin whatsoever, is a condition for answered prayer. It's saying if, if I cherish sin in my heart, it's, it's not that we can't expect God to hear our prayers and provide for us if we have sinned. It's saying that we can't expect God to hear our prayers and give us what we ask if actually we're planning to go on and commit sin. In James, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. For sure, we, we must ask. Rather than quarrelling and fighting amongst themselves, James had to point out to the church that they didn't have because they didn't ask God. We must ask. For, we must ask God for our needs and we can trust that through prayer, God may affect, he will affect our hearts also so that we don't ask wrongly. James isn't saying that all desires are wrong or that praying for our needs is wrong. He's just saying we can't hope to receive anything good if we come to God with a list of demands just to spend on our passions. Jesus said we are to seek first the kingdom of God and then we can be confident that everything else will be taken care of. In 1 John chapter 5 verses 14 to 15 it says this and this is the confidence we have towards him towards God that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know we have the request that we have asked of him in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, John Calvin comments on this verse, verse 15. He writes, If our sense is not able till after long expectation to perceive what the result of prayer is, or experience any benefit from it, still our faith will assure us of that which cannot be perceived by sense, i.e. that we have obtained what was fit for us. The Lord, having so often and so surely engaged to take an interest in all our troubles from the moment that they have been deposited in the bosom. For though things fail, God will never abandon us and he cannot frustrate the expectation and patience of his people. We may add that although God complies with our request, he does not always give us give an answer in the very terms of our prayers but while apparently holding us in suspense yet in an unknown way shows that our prayers have not been in vain this is the meaning of the words in first john 5 verse 15 god even when he does not comply with our requests yet listens and is favorable to our prayers so that our hope founded on his word is never disappointed what Calvin's saying here is we can be assured that we will obtain what is 
fit for us. Because even if earthly fathers know how to give good things to their children, how much more does our Father in heaven know what's best for us? He takes an interest in our troubles. This is the one who knows the very hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. And he takes all your troubles to heart. He will never abandon you. <clears throat> Though it may not be as we asked or what we asked for, Calvin puts it, he does not always give an answer in the very terms of our request. God does comply. He condescends to give us what we ask. He comes down to us in our need and in our requests so that our prayers are never in vain. And when he doesn't give us what we asked, it's not because he didn't listen or that he's not favourable. He listens attentively. He has favour towards us. That's his heart, merciful and steadfast in love. We petition God in prayer, safe in the truth that he knows best. He desires what's best for us and he gives us what's best for us always and all of the time. Perhaps we've prayed for things for ourselves or others and God has has given us those things very quickly. It's wonderful when that happens. Um, but often, often in prayer and receiving, there is a waiting, as Calvin puts it, a long expectation. We mustn't grow discouraged or slip into passive surrender to things just being as they are. Waiting on God is not like sitting, in a, uh, sitting patiently doing nothing in a waiting room. There is a need to persevere, to knock again and again. Like the friend calling at midnight. Sometimes there's a lamenting, a need to pour over what it is God has said he will do in scripture and then take hold of those promises. In his book, Struggling Prayer, Donald Bloish puts it like this. Prayer is not simply petition but strenuous petition. It is not just passive surrender, but active pleading with God. It involves not only submission to the will of God, but seeking to change his will. It consists not merely in reflection on the promises of God, but taking hold of those promises. Bloch is saying much the same as Calvin, but with a stronger emphasis on how we, how we struggle in prayer. There is submission and there is seeking. There's strenuous petition, active pleading. <clears throat> there is recognising that we submit to God's will, his perfect and pleasing will. Recognising ultimately that God is in charge. Yet there is a seeking, as Bloch puts it, to change his will. There's a kind of wrestling here with God that needs to take place. He's describing what I call reverent, shameless, <laughs> reverent, shameless persistence. In Luke 11, Jesus said it was because of the impudence of the friend that he gets whatever he asks for in the middle of the night. It was his shameless persistence, but it was his friend's house that he went to. He was shameless in his persistence, but with the right person. 
it's precisely because God himself has invited us to be shamelessly persistent that when we are, we are showing reverence to him. Jesus has invited you and me. If you're a Christian, he's saying, ask, seek, knock. And we show our reverence to him when we do that in the way that he says to do it. <laughs> it's almost as if God is saying, son, don't be polite in asking me. Come, wrestle with me until you receive a blessing from me. Hold me to my word. Believe me. <laughs> what a great invitation that is. <laughs> we must ask God. As, J as James teaches, we, we do not have if we haven't asked. Yet at the same time, God's wise and perfect plan is infallible and sovereign. And this is what Tim Keller writes is one of the most practical mysteries of the Bible in his book, Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. On the one hand, God's will be done. And on the other, our prayers make a difference. This is what Bloch is referring to when he says we submit to God's will, but we seek to change his will. There is mystery here when we make our requests to God. It's a practical mystery because if we only believe that God is completely in control and our actions couldn't affect that, this would lead to what Keller describes as discouraged passivity, a kind of mindset of, well, what's the point? If his will is infallible, my prayers make no difference at all. And if, on the other hand, we really believed that our actions, our prayers affected God's actions in history, then we could be led to paralysing fear, feeling like, well, what if I get this wrong? <laughs> Keller writes, if both are true, we have the greatest incentive for diligent effort and yet can sense God's everlasting arms under us. In the end, we can't frustrate God's good plans for us. Wow, that is a win-win situation. We have every reason for diligent effort. That's every confidence that we can't spoil God's perfect plan. God doesn't change his final plan as we pray, but he will alter his methods for realising his purposes. Prayer doesn't change God's intention, but it can change his action. Jesus invites us to ask, seek, knock. Last week, Roy spoke about the purpose and power of prayer. One purpose of prayer is to commission God. We commission God to intervene with mankind's affairs. That's why it says in James chapter 5, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. God is sovereign, absolutely. And yet in some sense, he allows the world to come under the control almost of his children in prayer. In the Old Testament, we can see many examples of this. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. He then prayed again that it would rain and a deluge came. 
He was a man just like us. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful, powerful and effective. Because we submit to God and we seek. It's a both and situation. We can have confidence in God and courage in prayer. There's many examples in the Old Testament of God's people seeking to, if you like, bend the will of God. Abraham for Sodom is a, is a great example, but there's many others. So ultimately, what I'm saying here for a child of God, for a Christian, there's no such thing as unanswered prayer. He hears us. We can be assured of his goodness to us. And we can be confident that we have what we ask for according to his perfect plan. And yet here's the thing. In this life, tragedy comes. You may have prayed for a loved one. You may have asked for something desperately. You have may, maybe set your heart on something and you've gone to God again and again in request. And for me or anyone to say that, well, there's no such thing as answered, unanswered prayer is glib at least and lacks any compassion. And it doesn't really correlate often with our experience. In this life, some requests that God declines can be devastating, utterly perplexing. When, when I talk about, when we talk about perplexed, being perplexed, it's being in a state of anguish, bewilderment, I'm confused, tangled. When we've pleaded with God and yet it doesn't seem to have worked or worked out how we hoped. The heart's cry when the soul is in turmoil is why? Why? Or why not? For for those, for those of you perhaps who are watching or listening who don't know God the Father through Jesus Christ, well, you may ask, if God is good, why is there so much suffering? And invariably, it's our own pain, our own suffering that we need to make sense of. We all do. Is there a sense in which we can be petitioning and perplexed. In the Bible, it says that King David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God and God delighted in him and loved him. But just like the rest of us, he sinned, probably more publicly than most of us and sometimes more spectacularly than many of us. Like us, he suffered deep disappointment pain and loss. He, he experienced great victories and great encouragements as well. He remained confident in prayer. We can see this as we read the Psalms. He never stopped going to God and asking. Psalm 51 was written by David after he, his sin had been exposed and his son had died. He'd slept with a woman, Bathsheba, and then he'd organised for her husband to be murdered on the battlefield to cover up his adultery. 
The consequences of his sin led to his son being afflicted. David wept and fasted for days in the hope that God may be gracious to him and let his infant son live. His son died and David says this in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. He remained resolute in prayer, even when he was perplexed in heart. I want to say to you how much more we who live in the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the perfect man. The son, Jesus, served God the Father perfectly with all his heart, mind, body, soul, strength, the whole of his life, never sinned. He deserved to have all his prayers answered. All his prayers would have been perfect. The rest of us are sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all gone our own way. and None of us deserve to have our prayers heard. And yet, if you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, we've already said we know our Father will answer us. Why? That's because of the day when he did not answer Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' prayer was, answer, was unanswered. Jesus asked his Father in heaven to remove this cup from me. That was the cup of God's righteous judgment and punishment for sin, for the whole world, that was going to be poured out on Jesus on the cross the next morning, the next day. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is much more than Jesus fulfilling prophecy. This was the agonising praying that none of us could comprehend except Jesus and none of us will have to experience. The agonising pain of the only one who had known perfect loving community in the Godhead, Father, Son and Spirit from all eternity, being forsaken. Jesus took the penalty for sin. He paid the price that you and I owe so that we who believe in Jesus can be treated as Jesus deserves. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, the only one who never knew sin, so that all who believe in him might become right with God. This is the gospel. God the Father treated Jesus as we deserve, that he might treat us as Jesus deserves. Jesus' Jesus' prayer was rejected that our prayers might be received. And that's our confidence. That's why we can come boldly and confidently, but reverently. That's why Jesus invites you and me to ask, seek and knock. It was because he himself was going to pay the price and has paid the price. It is finished, he said it on the cross. Our Father in heaven can shower good blessings, bread, fish, all that we need 
for life and to flourish, to prosper in the fullest sense. Because Jesus tasted death. He had the snake bite in our place when he died on the cross. If you're not a Christian or just trying to work things out, you can come to God in prayer. I want to encourage you to do it. Like David did, like we all must do, start with seeking God's mercy that has been revealed through Jesus Christ. You could even say, like I did many years ago, pretty much, if you are real, show me. He's that merciful. He is that kind. He is that glorious and good. Jesus died on the cross that all who would believe in him would be saved. And that could be you today. As Jesus said on these verses that are on the screen, there's no earthly parent that wants more joy, more blessing for their children than God our Father does for us. He's not only lavish in his goodness and grace, but he's infinitely wise as well. We can come to God in prayer with cheeky, bold determination in perseverance and with assurance of his goodness and wisdom. And they'll always prevail. He has us. Thank you for listening. God bless you.